Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, we're joined by Kirsten Moore, who just completed her 16th season as the head coach at Westmont College. She's guided the program to two NAIA national championships and is the two-time NAIA Coach of the Year. In this episode, she shares how her team has battled through adversity to achieve their biggest successes, what gives them a 10-point advantage come tournament time, and how they build leaders who set the tone for their program each season. Before we start, a quick word from PGC Basketball. Coaches, our in-person clinics are back and we couldn't be more excited. Don't settle for being the same coach next season that you were last season. Our PGC coaching clinics will give you the tools, knowledge, and inspiration to transform your coaching so you get the results you deserve. Every clinic features 22 different topics covering all aspects of the game, including essential practice drills, offensive systems, defensive systems, dealing with parents, building a winning culture, and so much more. Join us this fall in Phoenix, Louisville, Atlanta, Dallas, Salt Lake City, or Chicago. If you're ready to take your coaching and your team to new heights, go to pgccoaching.com to select your clinic and sign up. That's pgccoaching.com. Welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. And we got a special guest today, Kirsten Moore. Kirsten, you know, you've averaged 25 wins over the last almost 15 years and won a couple national championships. And let's jump into culture. Culture is a buzzword, especially over the last five, 10 years in, in athletics, not just basketball. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think of culture as just the way you do things, the way you practice, the way you treat each other, the way you show up in the locker room, the way you travel as a team, it, it encompasses so much. But if you don't mind just sharing with our listeners, what is your culture built on at Westmont? Why is it special? And just peel back the curtain a little bit on the Westmont culture that you built. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I've been at Westmont for 16 years now, and I can remember so vividly, you know, first time head coach. I just come from coaching at Cal and Oregon and playing at Oregon. And I had these big college experiences, you know, in the Pac-10 then, um, because I'm old. I wasn't the Pac-12 yet. And then here I am coming into a little Westmont college and, uh, you know, but you have this kind of blank slate of like, okay, you're new, you're fresh. Like, what do you want the foundation of your program to be about? And kind of the way I have thought about it's like when people think of Westmont women's basketball, what do I want them to think about? Well, I went through like a lot of brainstorming and, you know, writing down all these, you know, words that were important that I thought were you know, would be key. And how do you organize that? And, you know, you've got all these programs that do it different way, but I really kind of landed on like two main pillars that I just, I wanted, you know, to be reflective of our program. One of them was just a uncommon work ethic. And I know everybody says like, Oh, we work really hard. You know, I think the two things I landed on are like things almost every program would say they want to be about, one of them was work ethic. And then with that was, uh, was just a team unity that was selfless. And those things I think everyone says are important and would all acknowledge are super important to the success of any program is what's the team dynamics like, and what is this, is this team willing to get after and put in the work necessary to become elite and to become excellent. And, um, but in reality, like 
actually doing those things is really, really hard. And so I think more than creating a vision of what you want to be about, it it is reinforcing that and holding people accountable to those things and really making those just a daily part of what you do as opposed to just buzzwords you talk about in recruiting or whatever, but that they have to become like, are your players have to take ownership of like, they want to, they need to want to be the hardest working team in the country. And they need to want to, the way we phrase our, you know, how we try to strive for our team unity is that um, we challenge. And actually at the beginning of every year, everyone signs just kind of expectations of a warrior. And one of those is that I will look for ways to sacrifice my own agenda for the good of the team. And it's, we talk about it being a very proactive thing that it's not just a, oh yeah, coach asked me to kind of do this, so I'll do it. But how can you inspire your players and give them a vision that's compelling enough to that want for them to want to be proactive towards creating this culture of selfless unity and that the team is bigger than the self and that the team is ultimately going to be, you know, the, the, the glue that helps, you know, great things happen. And, um, but I'm, I, that is super hard because all of our nature is to look out for number one and to want our playing time or our points or whatever. And, you know, I think in that, respect. I I'm so intentional about calling out the, I mean, the managers, their roles as important as anybody else on our team, you know, the girls that never get in the game, but they're repping the other team stuff as we prepare to play teams. You know, I'm constantly looking for opportunities to praise them, to talk about how important those roles are to our success, you know, so that they feel good about whatever kind of role people have. Well, let's unpack that selfless piece because, you know, when you're establishing the program as a coach, you know, you're doing a lot of front end work. It's you driving the bus. And then it sounds like you really passed on that accountability to your players. But like a lot of times, if you hired an assistant coach now, they might not have seen a lot of the upfront work that now maybe your older upperclassmen are doing. And so, is it is every year a new year in the sense that you are reasserting yourself as a coach and then as the season goes on, you're gradually passing it on? Or are you at a place now where it just is kind of feeding itself and players are so mature and so accountable to each other? So maybe talk about that relationship a little bit. I mean, I, do, I don't think I mean, yes, we're way more established in that than when I first came at the same time. If if you are not constantly working on that and reinforcing it, it doesn't happen. Even with like the greatest intention of kids, because I just think all of us are wired to want our own success, maybe more than somebody. I think it's an unnatural thing to actually like put yourself aside and say, I want to uplift this other person, you know, above above even where I'm at. I think that it was an interesting way you phrased it. Like each year, am I trying to assert myself as coach? Like, I think my whole ph- philosophy of coaching is I'm, I'm just very servant minded anyway, and everything that I do. So, I mean, I did the uniform lawn. I washed the uniforms for my first eight years here, like every single game, instead of 
making anybody a manager do it or whatever. I'd bring them home and I'd wash them and I'd bring them back nice and folded for the girls because that's something I just thought was a way that I could show that the little things, you know, to take care of something that that was going to matter to them, you know, and then. I mean, I'm usually the last one in the locker room. I'm picking up tape scraps if I need to. Now, thankfully, like, you know, the team has has realized, hey, that's something that they want to do, too. I mean, our four-year captain that's just graduated um, last weekend, I mean, she ate more meals last than anyone in the history of our program. She you know, picked up more little tape scraps in a locker room or scraps of paper or whatever. I mean, our whole thing is leave everywhere cleaner than we found it. You know, it just in all those little things. I think when people see the head coach doing that, or they see your captains or your four-year senior doing that, we've never been about like, oh, freshmen carry the water bottles, freshmen do this, whatever. Like, I mean, it's always been about, I mean, our freshmen eat first, our seniors eat last. And, you know, there's just this kind of model of servant leadership they come into when they're like, they're a freshman and they're, whoa, this is different, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, it is different. There's a reason why we do it. And um, it's fun to see people start to learn that. Yeah. Let's talk about the work ethic one for just a second. You know, what does that sound like? And, and what are you doing on a regular basis? You know, I think a lot of times coaches just think, let's go harder, let's play harder. But I, there's a lot more to that, like getting players to to work uncommonly. So peel back the curtain a little bit on, on words, phrases you're using. What is your communication sound with them? What things do you have built in that helps them to go above and beyond? Because it sounds like there's just a high level of accountability uh, in your program. Yeah, I mean, I think just verbiage wise, just this concept of realizing that you're never going to get better if you stay in your comfort zone. So we talk a lot about like, are you out like pushing outside your comfort zone? Good. You're uncomfortable right now. That's good. That's where you want to be, you know, like, because you're not going to get better staying in your comfort zone. And so if we want to constantly strive to get better and improve, um, we've got to be willing to push ourselves outside our comfort zone. And if we're not doing ourselves and as a coach, that's my job is to get them, put them in situations and practice that are more challenging than they're ever going to even face in a game. And it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard so that you're ready for when it's hard in competition and in the moment that it matters, you're ready to to come through and get it done um, and you're prepared. And so, I, I mean, I think that that's kind of a, a phrase that we think about and and talk about. You start to, when you do that enough, you realize like, you start getting comfortable in the uncomfortable, you know, like realizing like, Oh, that's how I'm supposed to be feeling right now. I'm supposed to be feeling like I can't do another rep, but you know what? You, you can't do another rep. And I think that, you know, even one of the seniors at our banquet this year, giving her kind of senior talk and sharing kind of a, a few nuggets of what she feels like she's taking from her time here. She talked about, the fact that when she felt like she didn't have anything left and that there's no way she could keep going, she learned that as a warrior, like there's always more there and that she can get through anything, you know, and that's a, that's a life skill. I feel like I'm helping um, the young women that come through our program learn. It, it's about way, way more than basketball for me. And uh, I think it just from some of the personal challenges I've had in my life, it's only reinforced for me how important it is to teach these young women that come through our program 
more life resiliency and ability to work hard in life and ability to, to be a part of something bigger than yourself. If we talk about, you know, that team unity and that selfless nature, like the ability to be a part of a community that's bigger than yourself. I think it, it goes way beyond basketball. Yeah, And when you think about, you know, a lot of times people think dysfunctional teams have adversity, but the reality is high functioning teams have a high level of adversity too. Like neither end of it is exempt from adversity. So as you're teaching these young ladies, those things that help them to be resilient, help them make through, can you speak to a little bit of adversity that you have faced in, in over, you know, your championship teams, you said that you have had a lot of adversity and, and tell us a little bit about that adversity and things you do to get through that adversity. Well, yeah, I was telling you guys a little bit before we started the the podcast that it's uh, it's actually remarkable to look at the years that we've had our most success have been the years that we've faced the most adversity. Um, you know, starting in 2013 with our first national championship season, my husband unexpectedly passed away um, when I was seven 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 and a half months pregnant, and um, and all of a sudden, you know, our team's kind of like, all right, we've got this new, this single mom now with a new baby. And like you, we had graduated like 80% of our scoring and our rebounding from the year before we did have one just like phenomenal player that was offered the opportunity to get a lot, paid a lot of money internationally to graduate early or to just to leave and go play. And she decided to come back and she said, I'm, I made a commitment to you coach. I'm coming back. And she came back and then we had, you know, walk We had, I think we had, we had a walk on starting another walk on coming right off the bench as our first guard. We had, you know, some other good players don't get me wrong, but this was not supposed to be the year that we went and crushed it, you know, and we went on to win the national championship is, is absolutely crazy, crazy story um, that we don't have time to get all into, but you know, that's that kind of year we win the national championship then about um, four years ago. And I'm going to blank on what year it was now, but um, it was when my senior class was freshman. So four seasons ago was the largest, I think, fire in California history, the Thomas fire and encroached on campus and actually didn't burn um, campus itself that burned up right up to campus, but they, the firefighters used our campus as a staging area to fight this fire. And we were evacuated and gone off of campus in a six week span. We were probably gone for, you know, only here about three nights. Um, we had to kept, we kept coming, coming back. But what happened is that the, right after that, there was a, uh, debris flow from the rains that came. And um, there are actually 19 lives lost um, just in our little Montecito community here. And uh, that year we, after, you know, living in other dorms and hotels and like, we just weren't even here. We made a run all the way to national championship game. We lost in the championship game, but we, that was again, a year we were not expected to do super well. Last year, we ended up ranked number one in the country after um, with a team that had only eight healthy, I should put it in quotes, healthy players, only eight. And our average height was five, five. And um, uh, yeah, and I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. The average height of my team of my eight players that could play was five, five. And we ended up ranked number one in the country. And then this year, um, obviously COVID and dealing with everything, the whole people all across the nation were, um, you know, my team ended up 
only being able to play, I think, 10, 11, 11 games before we went to the national tournament, just to, just enough to qualify and then uh, went and won the national championship again. So those are kind of some of the examples. I mean, the, the you know, the, the four times we've ended up either in the national championship game or winning it or ranked number one, um, were really like just the most adverse times. And I think, um, I don't, I, I've kind of thought a lot about it, you know, of like, okay, well, what is, what is kind of the secret to our success in the, in the midst of adversity? Um, and I do think a lot of that is based on that culture of caring for others that it's just that, like when you can bond together in the midst, you know, like a lot of times people say like, oh, adversity reveals character, adversity creates character, whatever. It does a little bit of, of both, right? It builds character. It also reveals character. I think that it does has done both for our teams, but the fact that we have this solid foundation when, you know, when the storms have come, like our team has had this like really core kind of value of each other and having each other's backs and finding a way to support each other through it. Um, and I think too, in those times, like it, it reinforces like what I try to do anyway, kind of through our culture is like we, the, the most important thing every year is not like, we don't do our goal setting process is really different. Like we don't, you know, sit here and say, Oh, we want to win a national championship. We want to G want to win a G championship. We do want to do those things. And I'm not saying those don't end up on the board, but to us, like I have our team write an identity statement of who they want to be every year. It is a way to give them ownership and it's that in, in part of it encompasses the, you know, kind of core pillars, but then they also get to like each year say, this is what we really want to stand for. And then the biggest goal of every year becomes be who you said you were going to be not necessarily. And, and what I found is that if we're, you know, working, you know, daily to attain like the identity we want to, that will yield the results hopefully that we want. And so I do think that like, um, you know, our culture is key to us having, like, we don't crumble, you know, when adversity comes, like, I feel like we have this really strong foundation that when adversity comes, like we're able to really like hold strong, but I also think it like, it takes the focus off of some of the external things that I think are less important, which is actually a scoreboard. And it puts the emphasis more on like, just the human side of what we're doing of like caring for one another and uplifting one another and how to find ways to help just encourage each other to make it through. You know, one thing I've said more than anything else in my college career to my players probably is the little things make the big things happen. And we really do like try to focus on the little things of who we are and how we do things and hope that the kind of end result takes care of itself. And I think in times of adversity, or like even, I mean, think about this last year, you know, COVID, everything, there can be so many things sometimes it's just like overwhelming over. I mean, I even think about like the, just the rates of anxiety and like all this stuff that, you know, like it can just feel just oppressive and to realize that like, okay, like in that, like, we're not going to solve all these big problems. Like there's a lot of things that are going to be outside of our control, but what can we do like today? What can we do right now? Maybe it's like, what can we do this minute? I mean, shoot, when I was going through like the biggest parts of like grief myself, it was sometimes like, I just need to make it through like this minute I need to breathe. I need to, you know, like get enough air in my body to take care of this baby in my belly, whatever it was. So from like 
you know, and maybe it's like, Hey, it's too overwhelming to even think about getting to the end of the day. Well, what can I do right now? You know, what can I do in the next hour? What do we need to do in this two hour practice? This is something we can control right now. We have the opportunity to be here. Let's focus on that and kind of take the pressure off of this, like trying to solve all this big, huge problem and, and break it up into just little things that we can just attack. And if you can string enough of those little things together, you can make great progress through a lot of adversity. I feel like. Kirsten, I just really appreciate, I know we've known each other for a little bit, just really appreciate what you're sharing. And I can't help but think that your well is so deep in who you are and why you do it. Um, And just talking about beyond basketball for your players and creating that vision. Like you you can tell girls are coming to Westmont coaches are coming to Westmont to be a part of something really special. And you also achieve great things. And so I was just thinking about the championship season, the allure of a championship and how so many of us coaches maybe even haven't won one or just that's what we, we put on the mountain of our success. We're just trying to strive and reach for that. So I just would ask a little bit, where do you put your championships and your, those accomplishments um, in pers- into perspective? And then also in this championship season you had, like what are the little things that those teams have besides going through adversity that have really made like, man, this team had it. And it may be one moment. It might be a basket going in at the buzzer. Like what are like some things you've noticed in those championship moments um, on or off the court as well with your team? Hmm. Well, kind of two part question, I guess. The first thing I would just say, I really don't coach for the championships. I the the best part about winning that championship this year was watching my players um, and how much it meant to them, and seeing them actually do something that was really remarkable and really challenging, and knowing that they have that for the rest of their life. They, they know they can do hard things and they know that they can overcome and that that will never leave, right? That it does not fade. That's something that's going to actually give them, like, it's going to be useful on a daily basis for the rest of their life. Unlike, you know, a banner in the background of my zoom right here that you can see that just kind of hangs up there and the the girls are going to get championship rings and they're going to be big and blingy and they're going to wear maybe 10 times in their whole life because they're so big. You can't wear them on a daily basis. Right. But I think that who they became in the process and what they learned about themselves, you know, like that, that they do, like they can do hard things and they can overcome challenges no matter, you know, how many get thrown at us in one season. I mean, how many challenges got thrown at every single team in the country this year, you know, but for them to know they endured that and came out like being their best. I mean, we do talk about that way more than we talk about the actual end result of the scoreboard or the championship or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think those are the things that just fuel me as a coach is, is watching who the ladies become in the process. And now I'm blanking on the second part of your question. Just the, that differentiator in those championship moments that you see on and off the court that you're like, man, this team has that specialness. You think, I think they can go far. I mean, it might be certain players you've had too, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's probably been in some ways, like each team has kind of had its own identity and how they've kind of come through in the clutch, so to speak, in each of those moments. I mean, I think most recently just about this year, like my team had so much joy in the challenge. Like they, you know, in fourth quarters when games are tight, I mean, we're literally like smiling in 
the huddle, like, this is what we're ready. This is what we train for. This is what like, we're, we're, we're more ready than anybody. And like, let's, we get to go do it now, you know? And so I think in those, instead of it turning into this super stressful moment, which actually almost every game of this national tournament, we came from behind to win. And, um, but our fourth quarters were phenomenal. And I just think that the girls have this really high belief that they train and prepare at a high level under really challenging circumstances. So they're, they know they can come through when they need to, but then the, I think that they just thrive on the, they, they had so much joy in just the challenge of it. I think also as part of that, I wouldn't discount, like, as we have been talking about culture and identity, I wouldn't discount like the fact that I don't think this team felt like if they didn't win a championship, they would be failures, right? Like, like they were secure in like who they are as players, as people, we as a team, as our team identity. So it was just, I don't know, like sometimes I think if it's just all relying on that, there's so much pressure and stress, like you, you know, you just, you get tight, you know, you get super tight down the stretch, like, oh my gosh, if we don't win this, like we're going to, you know, and, and it was more just this, like, let's go out and see how great we could be. Like, we know we are a team that thrives in, you know, challenging situations. So let's go do it, you know, um, and have fun with it. So I don't know. I think we played pretty loose and I think we played free and I think we played with a ton of joy. Like these girls just love the game and love the challenge. Kirsten, you said a moment ago, you talked about having an identity statement and you said, you know, we want to go be who we said we were going to be. And it's, and just listening to you talk, it sounds like you do a great job of modeling that for your young ladies. And yeah, just very apparent that you model it well, which is so important as a leader. My question is what happens when they're not who they said they were going to be? What happens when your best player shows up in a way that isn't who she said she was going to be or a group of players, maybe talk to, to talk through and to coaches about, how you approach that. And maybe every situation is different, but uh, yeah, give us some insight there if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, I would say every single season we have that. I mean, it's a, it's a high, is a high bar, you know, that we're setting. And so, you know, there's times in every season where we're struggling to actually fulfill that commitment or what that, that identity that we've said, this is what we want to be about. And so I think, I mean, one of the most important, impactful times of our season this year was when we came back from Christmas break outside for two more weeks of conditioning on the track and whatever, because we couldn't be inside. We couldn't have contact yet doing all this. And, you know, we'd been practicing for months without the reward of any games or the feedback really from any games other than a couple division one exhibition games. It was really challenging for them to stay motivated. And, um, and so we, had to have, you know, like we're out there on a whiteboard and putting up, like, here's what you said you were going to be. And this is, and then ask, just asking them, you know, like, are you doing this? Are we this? Like, let's take a hard look in the mirror. I think the first step to, you know, becoming better is admitting you have a problem. And they, you know, said, no, like we actually haven't built, like with the new people, like we haven't built a level of trust yet where we know they're going to 
be there and not give up like when it's really hard. Like we don't know that yet about our new players. We don't, you know, and and then it was like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And I think that that even just in motivation wise, like if it's not like a big team sit down, like powwow, check in, how are we doing on this, which we do try to do regularly. But even if it's just on a daily basis and you can tell like someone's just, you know, dogging it or hasn't brought their best or whatever that because I think the more intentional you can be up front about setting the standard of what you're going to be and committing to it, the easier it is to hold people accountable to it because now it's like super clear. So then, you know, there's a question of, you know, like, okay, we said we're going to do that. Are you doing that right now? You know, no. Okay. Well, what do you need? You need a teammate to be in your ear. Well, then you better go ask your teammate, like you need extra help today because you are struggling, you know, to get your motivation going or to get whatever, Um, you know, and sure. Sometimes that means, Hey, get on the line. Cause we got to wake up. Like this isn't who we want to be, you know? So there's definitely, you know, it isn't all, you know, hundred percent of the time, everyone's like, yay, doing it. Like it's a real, I mean, it is hard to do on a daily basis to have like really high standards of excellence in everything you do. Coach, let's talk strategy for a second. What are some things that, uh, you know, have been cornerstones of your team that you've done well? And, and why do you think you've done those things well strategically? I mean, I, I'm super blessed to coach at the highest academic school in the NAI and have really smart players. And I think we've been able to use that to our advantage. Um, it's another area. We expect really high things of our players um, from our scatter report process where, you know, we'll break down and watch film. We'll obviously go through, you know, on the court stuff, but then we actually, we, we test our players on scouting reports before games and they've got to know the other team's plays as well as they know our plays. And they've got to know how we're going to attack certain things on the offensive end, how we're going to defend certain things on the defensive end. And they've got to be able to like, just verbally give me an answer right back about whatever it is. It's also a way that we re it gives everyone one more chance to review everything because they're hearing it out of their teammates' mouths um, before the game. And so I do think, I mean, it's hard to say because honestly, we are a team that changes what we do pretty dramatically based on who we play. There's some teams that just go out and they just, they do what they do no matter who they play. Like we're really strategic about how we approach or attack different things. You know, we've we currently run a lot of ball screens um, because we've got some really dynamic playmaking guards um, and we've got really mobile posts that can both shoot and they aren't necessarily just back to the basket post. So we, if we get them off the move where defense has to adjust, that has been super helpful. So, I mean, there's a lot of different looks we have based on how teams guard ball screens and what they're doing and adjustments that we make. So there's, I think I would say a lot offensively and a lot defensively that we switch stuff up every game. But based on, you know, we kind of have this like pretty big arsenal of stuff. And then based on a scout and who we're playing, you know, we'll be ready to to go. I think the other thing that that has done is it's really helped us be successful at the national tournament because because we've been training our girls all year. And obviously this year we didn't have as many opportunities with only 11 games, but we had a pretty veteran team this year of most of the girls that were playing were returners and had had learned a lot, but they know how to guard ball screens, like a lot of different ways. They know how to do a lot of different things defensively. So we can make adjustments like at our national tournament, which is crazy. We're talking about the NAI national tournament. When we won our first national championship, we had to win five games in six days. They've now gone to a regional. So it's only the, now it's just four 
four games in six days for the fun for the last 16, which is makes an actual huge difference to just have one more prep day in there or a rest day or whatever. But either way, I mean, it's, you know, we finish a game, coaches don't sleep. They spend all night getting preps together, pulling scouting clips, writing a scan report by breakfast. We're showing them clips. They're memorizing the scan report, but you know, in two hours, they can have an, they can have a eight page scan report completely memorized almost verbatim because of how we've trained them throughout the year. And so we can on really short notice change what we're doing and be ready for a new opponent. Um, just because we've trained them in that all year. I think that's really helped us be successful at the national tournament. Would that be a decision that you made? Like when you got there, you thought, okay, Westmont has high academics. I can implement, you know, scouting reports that we're going to know to eight pages and that we're going to be able to make those adjustments. You know, if you were to take another job that you didn't feel like you were going into that, would you have done it differently? Was that a strategic part on decision on your part to go that direction? Totally. It was one of the like, it was one of the, I mean, I came from Cal Berkeley. It's the number one public university in the country. So it's not like it was like a poor academic school, but what I, my first year here, you know, it was all players. I didn't even recruit. I just showed up. I had who I had. I was just astonished. I think what it was because these were the players that didn't have that next level of athleticism that were just, you know, recruited at the, they were successful just because they were super athletic these, these kids were successful because they had to like know the game and, and they, you know, all the little, little things that could help them be successful. And so it was one of the first things I noticed, you know, with them was how smart a basketball, like they played with really high IQ and I thought, well, this could be fun. And so for sure, I mean, you have to like, we, we have a, we say KYP in our program all the time, know your personnel, both from our perspective also in who we're, who we're playing, but um, like, I, I mean, yeah. And, and I think there's been some teams here, depending on also some of our, like where our point guard IQ is at, where we do more, maybe less, whatever. I mean, we've pretty much been able to do a lot with every team, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I would have some, you know, if I was a different place and had different players, I might have taken kind of a different approach to it for sure. But here it, I mean, I really think it gives a, us a 10 point advantage are the way we scout and prepare and just that IQ going into a game. So Kirsten, in, in terms of let's build on that for a second, thinking about your, you have smart players and you want to build their basketball IQ. And then you talk a little bit about your system and strategy. So I'm going to flow into a little bit player development, both in season or off season. What are you doing to train and develop IQ and skills in your that fit into your system throughout the year. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty sequential thinker, and so I break things down into like reads based on kind of I don't know like like I just I just wrote up some new series for our guards to work on. You know where it's kind of like a progression of checks. You know of like okay, you come off the is the is the is the defense hedging? Are they not hedging? You know, like, but kind of systematically go through. And I think if they rep it that way, um, even if they're one on O in the summer and they don't have anyone else in the gym where they can't work on active reads against defense or something like that, they can, if they progressively in their mind, know like why they're doing that certain option off the ball screen and they're picturing, Oh, that's because the defense is a flat on the hedge, or this is because whatever, then I think it helps them in a game be able to like make those reads quicker and kind of 
kind of check that off. I've had an assistant coach with me for the last 10 years and she's not able to keep going at Westmont, but I think one of the best basketball IQ coach I've ever been around, to be honest, she's unbelievable. I think she helped me be a great, you know, a better coach. She's helped our players be better players. I learned a lot from her and, um, uh, you know, she kind of developed and intimate implemented, you know, the offense, but yeah, I mean, I love, like if, if you could say like one thing on the court that I have always liked most is been just individual player development stuff. I was the, you know, kid who was in the gym, you know, at the crack of dawn on Saturday and Sunday morning with, you know, whatever mentor I could get around to work out extra and to learn from them and stuff like that. I had incredible mentors growing up and, um, and so, you know, I think that's something I've always just really enjoyed doing that um, actually we're able to do a little bit more of at the NAI level, just because of, of rules and stuff like that. We're allotted weeks, not hours. And so like if in season a player wants extra work on stuff, we can actually work with them where a lot of times in the NCAA you can't because you did a three hour practice. So there's no other, you know, right now we actually, we only practice two hours anyway, but so if they need extra work, they can ask us for, for stuff. The other thing about, you talk about like another part of our culture, like something the team has kind of done for the last I bet you the last 10 years, it's been something that's been like team and player led is just the expectation of doing extra workouts outside of practice. And they like the captains keep track of it. They log it for their cap that they did at least right now, you know, each team decides, but this last year for the last couple of years, it's been like everyone commits to doing two extra workouts outside of practice every week. You know, those are times where they could grab a coach if they want and and try to work on stuff. Coaches, we wrap up here. You've You've done a really good job of winning on the court. And and from everything that we've been able to hear from me, it sounds like you're really winning off the court as well, just making a huge impact in, in these young ladies' life. So what would you in their lives, what what would you advice would you give um to coaches? You know, as they're going through young in their career, you know, how have you been able to do both? Have you been able to win on and off the court? Good question. <laughs> I guess advice, I would say I think you can't you can't fake what your true motives are. And I think players see through it. I think um, my challenge would be to actually genuinely care about your players more than the end results. And I know it's hard in a, in a, you know, profession where you could lose your job or you might have to move your family or all these things, you know, but I've just really think if we keep the, the student athletes development, first that we can achieve the results as well. And I think that that come like when players really know that you love them, you actually do care about them um, and not just what they can do for you on the court. They, you know, they'll, they'll let you push them as they, they'll, they'll go, they'll go for you. You know, they'll go extra, they'll go to the places to do the hard, you know, um, if they know you really care and you want what's best for them and that you're trying to teach them skills that they're going to have for the rest of their life and that you're trying to get them to maximize the gifts and the talents that they have, I think you can you can get a lot more out of your players. But if you can't flip that right, you can't be like, I want to get more out of my players. So I'm going to try to do these things to show that I love them. I think just to try to really check your motives, like like if you really can find ways to like care, love, serve your players that they will then, you know, really go the extra mile to try to be their best um, for you too. 
Yeah, so much good stuff, Kirsten. Before we wrap up, is there anywhere that coaches can you know follow you, whether social media or contact you if they want to go deeper? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I have uh, no. I mean, obviously, people can contact me. I. I, uh, I am still a single mom and super busy. And uh, I'm also the associate athletic director here. It's been intentional to not really be on social media. So, um, I, yeah, I, that has not been my thing. I was actually thinking about it like two days ago. Cause one of my former players like followed me back on, followed me, wanted to follow me on Instagram, which I think I've posted on like five times ever. And, um, and I thought, you know, someday, like I could, I think it could be a cool thing to try to have, uh, you know, get some of my thoughts and positive, um, perspective out there, but the capacity for it right now is minimal. So, um, you know, I, I do think there've been coaches that have contacted and said, Hey, would you mind come watch a practice? If we could come watch a practice or see how you do things and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm always willing to help other coaches have been super helpful in my development and stuff like that. So I'm not against it in concept, just in practice. I don't even know how to tell you how to do that. So. <laughs> Well, it sounds like your players' IQs rubbed off on you, everything we've learned about what social media does to us. So uh, smart move on your part. And uh, But, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with coaches. A lot of good stuff on here that I think is going to help the, the, the game and help coaches. So thank you very much. And for Lisa and TJ, I'm Sam, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out PGC's coaching clinics. There are six locations to choose from, and each clinic will feature a variety of topics and speakers, which you can check out now at pgccoaching.com. From the Harwood Hustle team, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Harwood underscore Hustle. We can't wait to be with you again next week.